Hey everyone, welcome back and welcome to episode 7 of season 3 of Whiskey Queens. This week we're starting to talk about scotch. I'm going to be doing a little bit of drunk history while Paul is drinking Laphroaig 10. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and check us out at whiskeyqueens.com, at the Whiskey Queens on Instagram, and don't forget to give us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and here's the show. Ooh, that was a good one. That's how Rogo was. That was, a, and as you said a moment ago, Scotland's got corks, so we don't have that. They unscrewing. got corks, baby. Unlike all the Irish we were drinking in the last few weeks. Hey, everyone, how are you all doing? Welcome to episode seven. Yes, episode seven. We are officially in Scotland. Of season trace, we are officially in Scotland, and Paul is pouring his second fourteenth. I don't know, twenty third scotch and soda. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be a good episode how are you now now listen i have a scotch and soda here i also have it in a glencairn glass as well double fisting so i'm doing fabulous how are you i'm dandy i'm finishing the last of a very i am very dandy i'm finishing the last of a present you gave me so i'm finishing the uh the oban 14 i don't oh i don't know what that was for me but uh, I should buy you more presents. I like presents. Presents are nice. Um, I know. I, you know what? Other, a ton of people buy you like booze presents. And I'm over here like, no one buys me fucking booze. That's actually a lie. That's a lie. So, people do buy me. I, I greatly appreciate those who do procure uh, delightful whiskey related uh, gifts for me. That includes my dear, dear friends, uh, dear friend and acclaimed author, Whit Talcott. And his husband, my dear friend and award-winning massage therapist, Ben Almond, as well as my aunts. Um, so yes, I have, I have to give my, my uh, titles. Speak, yes, we'll speak more about titles later. Your superlatives. Yes. Um, so what are you drinking? Tell, tell the audience. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We are in Scotland, a place I actually have been to, unlike Ireland. Uh, and I am drinking the Laphroaig 10-year. Sorry, I totally just got distracted in our notes. <laughs> You're drinking the Laphroaig 10-year. Yay! You totally did. I was like, oh my God, did I say it wrong? Nope. Because you paused like, what the fuck is she talking about? Nope, Nick just had like a mini stroke. It's totally cool. Um, yours is way peatier than mine, I think you were saying. Because mine, yes. mine's, I like the Oban. And I'm, I'm trying very hard not to say Oban. Don't be, it's, don't be trashy. I'm trying. I'm trying. Goes even though I'm, even though, <laughs> let me make a disclaimer to everyone who's listening right now. I cannot guarantee that I will not have pronunciation problems like Paul does as this episode progresses and whiskey satiates my veins. Mm-hmm. I, I think satiates. Oh, really? satiates. Oh, wow. I think we can forgive most of it because it's scotland and a lot of this shit has extra letters and it'll be good um but yeah any particular reason why you're drinking this week life one because i enjoy drinking or whatever my required phrase is i should really nail that bitch (laughs) um because i like to drink that's what it is booyah um and two because my body has rejected me today (laughs) tell me more (laughs) I ran, <laughs> my body was rejected me today. No, I ran uh, yesterday and you know, we used to run way back in the day and we're doing uh, you know, great competition between us and we're running miles upon miles every day. 
And then my body rejected that. And so I've gone through like ebb and flows of periods of time. And I ran yesterday, a very slow pace, four and a half miles. And I was like, mm, I got a little bit of time before we record today. I need to get outside, see the sun, stretch my legs, get some exercise. And I attempted to do that. But even before I got to half a mile, my knee said, you're no. a little bitch and you're not going to do this today. So you're going to walk. Sit your ass down and go drink. And I said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to have some scotch. That seems fair. So meanwhile, you're trying to work out and I'm on vacation. I'm very excited about that. It's not a very exciting vacation though. Um, This time last year, we were supposed to be in Amsterdam. That got canceled. Um, And unfortunately, we are not traveling again because I'm only one shot in. Grateful to have my shot. Not saying I'm not. Um, Traveling soon though. But yeah, we had like doctor's appointments. It was a very exciting start to vacation this week. One shot in. I'm traveling. (laughs) Well, not right this minute, but I will be. You will be. You will be. Um, moment, you know, for, for, for a short little stint for a family thing, but yes. Yeah, but you got your timing nailed down. You'll have your first shot with, for what, two weeks before you get on the plane? Yes. Yeah. You'd be so good. I'll be at 80, 80, 80 some percent. You'd be good. You'd be good. But yeah, so we're having a, a riveting vacation of doctor's appointments, home improvement projects, and um, what we normally do in any given week. <laughs> yes. Exciting stuff. So you are giving us our delightful, you chug some more as you're sorry. responsible for drunk history this week. All right, so the bottle's um, empty. And you get to talk about Scotch whiskey history. And ladies and gentlemen, we have now flown across uh, the, the, channel. the channel. Yeah. I don't know Her. what it's called, but the cha- just from Ireland to Scotland where... We now have dropped the E again, and it is whiskey with a K-Y. It is. That, that's the first line of my, my drunk oh, history. Fuck, sorry. See, <laughs> I kind of thought you did it on purpose, but now, <laughs> based off of your facial reaction, you didn't. Uh, so yes, a brief and buzzed introductory history on Scotch whiskey, and that, to Paul, uh, like Paul said, is K-Y, so sans E. Um, basics first, Scotch is a malt or a grain whiskey, or a blend of the two, made in Scotland, aged in oak barrels for at least three years. Interestingly enough, those barrels or casks cannot exceed 700 liters. I assume that's kind of like the wood to liquor ratio is what they're trying to make sure they don't go past. Um, The process prior to fermentation must be done in the same distillery. So essentially the mashing and the fermenting have to be done in the same location. Um, Must be distilled at a strength less than 94.8% ABV and it may have water and caramel coloring added. So this is one of the locations where they can color the actual liquor. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the minimum strength must be at least 40% ABV when bottled. So that's a little bit about what we're drinking. Um, It was originally made from malted barley. It wasn't until like the 18th century when you see commercial distillers starting to crop up where you see um, the addition of wheat and rye into the mash bill. Um, Age statements on scotch are always specific to the youngest whiskey in the bottle um, in the case of blends. So, and this is pretty common. We've talked about this before where the age statement is always going to be indicative of what the youngest thing in a blend is. So it's pretty standard across um, most whiskeys. Um, If you find something with no age statement or an NAS, that whiskey you are safely going to assume that it's at least three years because it has to be three years to be a scotch. Uh, So 
The earliest record of distillation in Scotland dates back to 1494, based off of a scroll addressed to Friar John Cor, where he was taxed by the king for making aquavit, specifically from the malt he was given. Um, there's evidence of whiskey in Ireland before Scotland, dating back to 1405. Um, but if you jump ahead a little bit, you see movement of monks throughout Ireland and then passing over into Scotland uh, before they were really distinct countries. Uh, the church charged them with kind of spreading the good word, if you will, proselytizing. Monks. Uh, the, they were drunk ass bitches. Um, so they move about the country and they essentially are kind of spreading the gospel and at the same time, their knowledge of distillation, uh, which they picked up from the Moors prior to. Um, Jump to the 16th century, you have monks being evicted from their abbeys by King Henry VIII. Uh, they now start to wander the islands, kind of looking for a, a place to call home at this point. So they're kind of working as healers, naturalists, teachers, and scholars. Um, they make their way to the Scottish people. They start ministering to clans, integrating themselves into the communities at that point. Um, and now I'm going to jump ahead because I'm not going to be hanging out in the 14th and 15th century for too long. But why? Because I don't have time for it. And you have a lot of stuff to talk about with your Lefroy. So whiskey is taxed since 1644. Wasn't a major issue until about 1725 when Great Britain um, brought about the malt tax. So now you're seeing riots in Glasgow and Edinburgh from the Highlanders, essentially considered it a birthright to distill. Um, it was a super common farming activity. Uh, so now you have the continued illegal distillation of what is basically moonshine on top of the fact that Highlanders consider their whiskey to be superior to that of what was being created by Lowlanders. Um, they were using other grains in their process, whereas Highlanders were not. So they considered what they were producing in the Lowlands to be completely inferior because it wasn't 100% malt. Um, more taxes come. They're basically put in a place where they're punishing the Highlanders even more. Um, and then somewhere in there, you have the Jacobite Rebellion, 1745 or so, which was an attempt to recapture the throne. Um, did not go well because they lost. And then you have a mass exodus of the Highlanders. So they go west uh, where they have access to waterways and they essentially can avoid the tax man and continue distilling mostly undisturbed. Uh, between 1790 and 1816, you see distilleries kind of opening up and popping up all over the Northern Highlands, Oban, um, the Isle of Jura, and um, Isla. Is it Isla? Oh, yeah. I did it. I almost thought, I, in my brain, I still said it wrong. I did too. And I was like, don't, don't do it, man. It's Isla. Okay. Um, so we have Highlanders avoiding taxes, lowlanders paying the tax. And now to avoid some of the tax burden, they're using less malt and more of other grains in their mash bills, which we've also seen kind of historically in other countries, especially Ireland. Um, so we're, we're seeing this as a pattern. The UK or the Great Britain is taxing malt, so they start to change the recipe they're using to lower how much malt they're using. Um, in 1823, you see the Excise Acts uh, passed by Parliament. At this time, there's an estimated 14,000 stills in operation, both legal and illegal. Uh, with the Excise Acts passed, you have, God, Excise Act passed. <laughs> you see more favorable conditions, the ability for distillers to earn a real income, uh, produce a better product. Those 14,000 stills dropped to 200 stills in 20 years. So this brings us to a point where it's about- A lot of consolidation. Yeah, a lot of consolidation, um, but a better product being produced in a more kind of regular streamlined manner. Um, people are actually able to have an income and be able to keep up with the taxation that's going on as well. Well, and that like 14,000 to 200 is the byproduct of what you just said, right? Which is 
that people can make a career out of it. And it's not just sort of your bootleg side project. Yeah. And you see a lot of Highlanders obviously lose their stills at this point because they're going yeah. through and they're really cracking down to make sure that they're meeting the new excise act. Um, yeah. Now, this is around the time of Aeneas Coffee, which we mentioned last week. So it's about 1830 at this point. His coffee still is patented. The Irish want nothing to do with it. So he brings it up <laughs> the, to the and Scottish. And the Scots are like, fucking bring him up. Bring it on. Give us your continuous still. Um, so, and that's kind of where I'm going to leave off. So from like 1830, we can decide next week if you want to give like a recap on Aeneas and then you can bring us up to date with where we are currently with, with scotch and Scottish whiskey. Sure. Um, that's that's a, my a honor and privilege oh. next week. A little bit. Girl, okay. You need to take a breath, take a <laughs> sip. Everyone else needs to take a breath and take a sip as well. I need context here because I'm uh, because scrolling and I see I'm three gonna, pages of Paul. Three I'm pages. You, I'm going to tell you why you need to take, take a breath and take a sip is because Nicholas just covered in his like, he covered what? Four, 400 five hundred years. years of history in like boom, 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 boom. It's the highlights reel. Yeah, oh, it's a highlight. What it boils down to is monks or drunks they passed on what they knew to all the locals taxes now, suck if you are gonna start that way you need to continue the rhyme monks <laughs> are drugs <laughs> something 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 i can't something, rhyme something something well you know what fucking figure it out and present it next episode I, i'll try to come up with something by the time you're done with your novella here on lefroig uh, speaking of it's my turn it is Ooh. my novella shut the fuck up <laughs> So as we have, as we, as I have said, I am over here drinking Lafroig 10-year-old Isla single malt scotch whiskey. Yay! Yes, I pronounced all of that correctly, which if you've listened to any previous podcast is a grand achievement in and of itself because on previous podcasts, I am pretty fucking certain I have called it the island of Islay. And it's the island of Isla, and I'm a trash mess. The whiskey itself, let's start there, shall we? It's 43% ABV or about 86 proof. That's not it's, bad. Yeah, it's about, it's 100% malted barley dried over a peat fire. It's aged 10 years in American oak barrels. Um, it's from the remote island of Isla, which is in the Western Isles of Scotland. And it's often referred to as the birthplace of Scotch whiskey. Ooh. This lovely little ditty costs me about $74 with tax. So she's not cheap, but neither am I. So there you have it. So many, the jokes write themselves, continue. I know. These tasting notes I pulled from the website and not from my own palatial experience is that how is that is palatial no. is not the right word no moira no. no i know moira rose just came out after some scorch uh don't know what that was and please <laughs> delete all of this you won't but I won't. i'm still requesting it nonetheless uh the tasting notes the color is gold i totes agree with it because i got it in this little glass totes agree with it jesus uh the nose Huge smoke, seaweedy, medicinal with a hint of sweetness is how they describe it. Now that's so fascinating to me because it's also the palate, if you want my quite frankness. I, I find that that goes hand in hand nine times out of 10 
because what they say is the palate surprisingly surprise surprising sweetness with hints of salt and layers of peatiness, bold smoky taste followed by a hint of seaweed and a surprising sweetness. So they just want. moved the words around? Uh, or I did in my <laughs> notes. <laughs> Which is quite possible because I was also tasting this while I was writing my notes. Shocker. Oh. Um, the fi- they described the finish as lingering. Is that, is that a fair assessment of the, the nose, the taste and the finish? Well, now I feel like I have to do it. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Shut up. Hold on. He's going for a scotch and soda now, too. I know. Oh, I have to clear my, I have to clear my palate with a scotch and soda. She's riding fast and loose over here. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, a lot of this is the same thing. Like, it's, it's smoky. It's it, salty. It's, it smells smoky to me. With a little bit of sweetness in there, you can get hints of that. So I get smoky and sweetness. I can, I mean, and I guess like the smoke and see, I don't know. I don't know that I get the medicinal component over the smell, but. And we, what did we say the PPM was on yours? 45. Oh no, I'm sorry. Lephoric 10 is 88. Um, Okay, so it definitely, so the PPM is just a measure for phenols, which is that smoky taste, if any, or that smoky like sensation smell, if anyone doesn't know. So they actually Ooh, will like the rate. Pop into the court. That was a good one. Um, they'll rate scotches on a scale, like a PPM scale. So the lower the number, the less smoky PD it is, the higher the number, the more intense it is. Um, yours is higher than mine. Yours is, I think, in 88, whereas mine, I think, was like in the 20s. Yeah, mine's like 60 some higher than yours. Oof. Got some smoky peaty action. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, let me tell you. Oof. It is smoky. Uh, and it's definitely smoky on the front. And it's like boom, boom. Ah, smoky. And it and it does have it. Does it carry all the way through? It does. Okay. Yeah, it does. And but it does have that subtle sweetness to it. And a little bit of the burn that lingers, right? So it's you know. Scotch is an acquired taste, I feel like, because of the, well, let me, let me rephrase this. Peated scotch, I think, is an acquired taste. Yeah. Because some people like smoke, some people don't like smoke. You know, I've, I've long said that I'm not a huge fan of smoke. I think I've come to enjoy it a little bit more in scotch. This is not one I'm probably, I mean, I could sip on it periodically, but I, I enjoy it more in a scotch and soda. That was my next question is, do you think you'll sip on this? Maybe periodically when I feel like I need a little smoke in my life. Nice. I don't know, don't know what that is, but that's where we are. The Paul shoulder um, shuffle. The shoulder. Too bad. No one else sees the shoulder shuffle besides you. One day. Um, oh, don't even. Anyway, back to my notes where we were supposed to be 50 hours ago. Um, the 10 year is the original Lefroig. And it's distilled the same way today as when Ian Hunter invented it more than 75 years ago. So some fun facts, because I know we all love Paul's fun facts. Lefroy uh, in Gaelic is a Gaelic word basically with the meaning of beautiful hollow by the broad bay. Basically describing exactly where the distillery is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, friends of Lefroig. You're like, what is this? What is this? Friends of Lefroig you're talking about? It was created in 1994 
And basically an invitation is included with each bottle sold where you can claim a lifetime lease on a numbered plot of their land. It's one square foot uh, that runs alongside the important water source of the Kilbert Stream, right? So as a friend of Lefroy, when you claim this, you can view your plot of land. And as a friend, you basically can claim your, your ground rent, as they say, which is a free dram of Lefroy at the distillery in person. So you like show up with your certificate and you're like, I'm here for my dram? Pretty okay. much. And you can bet all your asses who listen to this mofo that I am now a land baron at Lefroy Distillery in Scotland because I claim my shit. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Did you buy me a piece of land or did you neglect to do that in the process? Why would I, why, yeah. what? Okay, continue. I'll, I'll go buy okay. my own land. Listen, shithead. Shit I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna be real with you. I bought a bottle. I didn't know this was a thing <laughs> until I opened the motherfucker and I got this little, little pamphlet here. And I was like, the fuck is this pamphlet? And I flip it open and it's like, hey girl, you should become a friend. And then it talks about what, what it entails. And it's like a lifetime friendship as a friend you can find the exact location of your plot. You can download your plot certificate, which I did. Uh, you can send messages to your next door neighbors. I haven't, I haven't really explored this so much. You can join their chat forum. I'm not a big chatter. Uh, you can share stories and recipes, post photographs, bid in our charity auctions, enter competitions. There's a lot of shit you can do. There's a lot going a on there. But the fun part about it is that when you go there, you can visit your plot. I do love that. That's cute. However, but the best part about it is I got my certificate and I downloaded my certificate. And what I love about it is the certificates like, as a condition of this award, we agree to pay a yearly ground rent in the sum of one dram of Lefroy to be claimed in person at the distillery. And then they have some like disclaimer that like, you don't own shit, just so you know. Um, <laughs> this is a promotion. Well, you understand we're not offering <laughs> heritable ownership or any right to cut peat, farm sheep, or <laughs> extract minerals from your one square foot. Plot. One by one. Uh, yeah, don't be, don't be a crazy motherfucker, okay? is basically what they should say. And, and the other thing is, is like, once you claim it, it it's, it's like their rewards program. Yeah. So once you claim your square foot plot, like I can continue to enter the numbers or whatever, what have you from the various purchases, but it basically becomes points at that point. Oh. Like I've, I have claimed my plot period done. And the rest of it will just be sort of like joining their point rewards. Program. Got it. Okay. Uh, so we can get you a bottle. We can claim you a plot, okay. girl. I can't get, uh, we don't know where it's going to be. I have to be. go shopping. Oh, we can't um, be neighbors? That's bullshit. We could call them. Okay. We could see. Um, what I love about it is upon the leaseholder's arrival at Lefroig, we undertake to provide a map with adequate directions for locating the plot in which you are the lease owner and suitable protective clothing against Isla's rugged weather and eccentric wildlife. And you're like, what does that mean? Oh God. Well, <laughs> what it says here is 
I just want to read all of this because it's fascinating to me. The leaseholders covered will contain all essential equipment, including for ascertaining the boundaries of the plot, one tape measure, a pair of Wellington size 12, approximately one foot in length. For the journey to the plot, protective headgear against low flying geese. <laughs> a thick overcoat to repel the inclement Scottish mist. A life belt and anchor to safeguard against being blown out to sea. What? One ball of string for securing trouser legs from exquisitive stoats. I don't know what that means. And a towel for the leaseholder to dry off in the event of unwelcome attention from affectionate otters. Uh, there's so much going on. <laughs> That's why I had to, normally I wouldn't read you know, a certificate, but this one is amazing. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go buy a bottle. I'm on vacation. And there, and there is a lot to digest, right? You need to get a plot. We both have plots and we can go there and visit our plots uh, together. Okay, I'm down. This sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. So I know I just sort of went on a random ass tangent about Friends of Laphroaig, but we talked a little about the bottle and now I sort of want to talk about the distillery of yeah. Laphroaig. Um, and thankfully, we don't have to talk about the Friends of Laphroaig, which was founded in 1994. Just covered that mother. So Laphroaig was established in 1815 by the brothers Donald and Alexander Johnston. It all started with them leasing a thousand acres to rear cattle around 1810 or so. Um, and basically, when you rear cattle, you got to grow feed, obviously, for the long winters in, in Scotland, uh, which is barley, yep. right? We, you know, you feed your cattle barley. And so the real question is, what do you do with the surplus barley you produce? Well, listen, if you are Scottish, you go and make yourself some whiskey. That seems about right. That's what you do with the barley. If you're, you know, in the southern regions of the UK, you're, you're likely going to, um, ferment. What's, what do you do when you make beer? <laughs> ferment? I don't know. Yeah, you do stuff to make beer. Uh, anyway, you beerize it. You beerize that shit. So that's what they did with their excess barley. And then word spread that their shit was real good. And before they knew it, it became more profitable for them to distill whiskey than raise cattle at Laphroaig and are on this plot of land. And so Laphroaig was born. Hmm. And for nearly 140 years, the distillery stayed in the Johnston family with the final family owner being Ian Hunter. Uh, through much of the 1800s, the Irish, you know, similar to Irish whiskey, Scottish whiskey saw a rise in favor. Uh, through the 1850s till the early 1900s, Laphroaig itself had some challenges with its neighbors. And I found this fascinating in their history. They got bitch, I was gonna say they have some bitchy ass neighbors, but that's not nice because it's actually talking about well-known brands oh. <laughs> um, that people will be like, but I like her. Um, so at this time, much of Isla's malt went into blend. So all of the uh, whiskey that was produced on the uh, island of Isla went into blends, including Laphroaig. And because of its smoky peaty taste, which we discussed, it was highly coveted and appreciated by blenders, right? To be included in blends. Especially Lafroig's next door neighbor, Lagavulin. Oh, parks and recreation. 
which at that time was owned by Mackey and, and company, which was a Glasgow spirit and blending merchant, essentially, okay. right? Uh, and at that time, monk, uh, monkey, no, wrong, uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some more scotch. Um, I'm offending everybody right now, and so I apologize. Keep drinking. It'll get better. Mm-hmm. So at the time, Mackey and company were taking most of the share of Lefroig's output for blending with grain whiskey, essentially, right? And this troubled uh, Dougal, which, is, which was the current family owner in like the 1850s or around that time. Um, and he felt it that by giving you know, most of it out for blending purposes, it really limited and restricted Lefroig's ability to sell its own single malt whiskey to a wider market. So what ended up happening was they're like, bitch, we want to make sure this shit, which is our shit, gets out in the world. The w- this is my drunk history portion, the way we want it. And so they decided uh, to basically end their sort of arrangement. Ooh. With Mackie and Co. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little breakup. Yeah, a breakup happened. So in 1887, the family decided that Mackie and company was getting too much of their whiskey and terminated their contract leading, which ultimately led to Mackie and company taking them to court. Oh, you know, being like, this is what you do. And they said, listen, it's all whiskey, okay? And the court said, it's their whiskey. Oh, shit. And so Mackie and Co. was like, (laughs) Um, I know, right? And then so... This begins an arc of like, I don't even know, like decades of a long neighborly spat essentially with Mackie and Co. Uh, Mackie and Company, I'm just calling Mackie and Co. That's, that's fine, we're casual like that. Seems fun. Uh, so basically you had the 1887 where they were like, bitch, we done. And they said, we won't sue you cause you done. And oops, we lost, okay. And then 1907, Peter Mackey blocked the distillery's Kilbride stream with stones. Oh, bitch move, right? And the water was a key ingredient in the single malt, right? Obviously, that that, uh, Lefroig was uh, producing. And the courts intervened and basically made Peter put things right, which was what they say on the website in air quotes, and restore the water supply. This is so dramatic. Um, It's super dramatic. And I am all for it. So then in 1908, you know, Peter Mackey persuaded the head brewer of Lefroig to work for him and help him build an exact copy of the Lefroig stillhouse, which he hoped to create basically another Lefroig at Lagavulin, which wasn't easy. I presume it was Lagavulin, but if it's not, sorry, Lagavulin. Um, which turned out not to be easy because it wasn't just like you can replicate everything and it works the same, yeah. right? Because there's like family history and all the shit that's involved. Yeah, there's like a subjective nature to this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So needless to say, Peter want, then want to try and he, he basically has tried multiple times to buy the rights to Lefroig outright, at least two to three more times to no avail. But all this activity, activity and the battling with Mackie and co uh, basically put a lot of strain on uh, Lefroig, right? Right, because they just, 
paying for lawyers yeah. trying to keep their shit real like dealing with all this bullshit being like listen neighbors we invented the best shit and y'all are coming after us okay um so basically when ian hunter took over in 1921 he really came on board to sort of a struggling distillery because of all of this litigation that basically stems back from what the the 18 like yeah, like 75 years it started yeah. sort of in the 1850s 1860s literally like this shit was going on for decades which is crazy people need to get their shit right and so well I, well the reality right and i think you know to not to totally like diss our our delightful i said delightful hey, my friend bitch is dead um Peter Mackey and co. And, and that is like, I mean, I get it. He was like Lagavulin, or not Lagavulin. He's like, Lafroig is like the shit. Everyone wants a piece of her. Like, I just want to be like them. Aww. And he kept trying to be like them. And it wasn't quite working for him. So Ian Hunter took over, who was the last uh, basically family heir to the company in 1921 and really worked to revitalize the distillery and brand, you know, after all of this, you know, decades of litigation and challenges with their neighbors. By 1923, he had doubled the capacity and erected a new wash still and spirit still, which were duplicates of the originals because he was like, I love this original shit. I'm part of the family. We're going to make it real. Um, that was nice. And he, right. And he focused on building the brand globally, growing exports to Latin America, Europe, Canada, and he even targeted America during prohibition being super smart and super fucking savvy and convincing U.S. Customs and Excise that the whiskey's pungent seaweed and iodine nose was evidence of its medicinal properties. Good for fucking him. Right? Smart ass bitch. To that, I will take a sip. I'm, my bottle's empty. I'm very sad right now. He's been I know, sorry. I drank it all. So essentially, it was Ian's idea to mature Lefroig's spirit and ex-bourbon American white oak casks, right? After World War, basically what happened is World War II sort of made it challenging to get casks from Europe. Yep. Uh, from, from, you know, sherry casks from Spain or other parts of Europe. And so basically he was like, you know what? We're going to get some ex-bourbon barrels from America. And so what are we going to do? And they did, it was great. So 1954, upon his death, Ian Hunter, you know, he, he uh, as they described it in either Wikipedia or on the website, he died childless. I was like, wow, that's really Aww. harsh. Um, but he ended up leaving, he left the distillery to, to Bessie Williamson. And she's amazing and has a great a story to her too. She actually joined the distillery in the early 1930s for a summer job as sort of a, a shorthand typist or what have you. Uh, and never left. And she ended up working closely with Ian over all those years. And through their working relationship and Bessie becoming like rising in the ranks of Lefroy to become basically Ian's right hand, he ended up passing along because he saw in her sort of the, you know, all those things you need, right? To run a family business. Like she was passionate and inspired by whiskey and committed and all those things. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to share the secrets with you. Okay, because I ain't got no children. Because I'm going to die childless. And, yeah, exactly. As they say in one of the places in which I got my information. Um, so he basically passed along the family knowledge about distilling and Lefroy and all that stuff. And she became one of the, it, 
1954, upon his death, he left it to her and she became one of the first female owners and, and master distillers in the industry and in Scotland in 1954. Nice. And she actually stayed at the helm of Laphroaig until her retirement in 1972 uh, and is largely credit with, credited with its increasing fame and sales growth. And she smartly eventually over a period of time sold Lefroig to Seeger Evans and Company, which was a subsidiary of Shenley International, basically an international uh, corporate overlord to some degree to really help continue its worldwide growth and provide the assets to really help market it, the whiskey international. Got it. And basically throughout the 1980s, the reputation grew, leading to Lefroig being bestowed the royal warrant of the Prince of Wales during his visit in 1994. Fancy. And you're like, a royal warrant? Do tell me more. <laughs> also known as royal warrants of appointment, they have been issued since about the 15th century to, to companies or businesses or whoever to, who supply goods and services to a royal court or certain royal personages. Uh, the, the, the warrant basically enables the supplier to advertise the fact that they supply the royal family, which, you know, helps leading to brand prestige. Yeah. And then the UK, royal warrants are currently made by the three most senior members of the British royal family to companies or tradespeople who supply goods and services to individuals in the family, right? So his royal highness, Prince Charles, aka the Ruth, the, the, the Ruth. Oh. There it is. His Royal Highness, Prince Charles, a.k.a. the Duke of Rothsay, 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 uh, as he's recognized in Scotland as the heir apparent. So the Duke or Duchess of Rothsay is basically the heir apparent to the Got throne. It. He's a big fan, big fan of Laphroaig. Uh, and he celebrate, he, you know, he celebrated his 60th birthday in 2008 at Laphroaig. He uh, was there in 94 to bestow his royal warrant to them. And he was there for the 200th birthday in 2015. Rumor has it that the 15 years is his favorite. And because he bestowed the royal warrant of the Prince of Wales upon them, uh, the royal coat of arms is found on each and every bottle of Lefroy. And Fancy. also inscribed uh, in the walls of the buildings of Lefroy. And so on this bottle, it says with the, like the crown, I'll show it to you. You see uh, that? Yeah, well, that's a lovely marketing tactic. Yeah, yeah. It says by appointment to his Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, distiller and supplier of single malt scotch whiskey, D. Johnston & Co. Lefroy, Isle of Isla. So that is listed on every box. Nice. Yeah, kind of cool. Anywho, so obviously at that same time, 1984 coincides with Friends of Lefroy being uh, founded as well, you know, which I'm a member of we, now. We've heard all about it. Basically like, you know, a, a land baron in Scotland. Um, so the late 1990s led to a number of awards and increased notoriety, notoriety, notoriety for Lefroy. Christ um, on a cross. And the, in the distillery. 
So fast forward, blah, 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 blah. A number of, you know, talking about corporate overlords, a number of acquisitions of holding companies brings us to 2014, where it became part of Beam Suntory, which is the American subsidiary of Japan Suntory Holdings. And so it's part of, uh, it's part of Suntory. They do have a corporate overlord. They do, as do most Scottish distillers. Diageo has like 40 of them or some shit like that, so... Diageo, if you if y'all don't remember from season one or what have you, when we we coined the terms of corporate overlords, Diageo deliberately made like a billion dollar investment in like scooping up a shit ton of uh, Scottish whiskey. I totally forgot you mentioned that. Thank you for the reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a link here. Do you want to tell us about it? No. Oh, okay. We'll put it in. It show was just notes. a link. We can put it in show notes. It's basically sort of this fun little article I found. That's like the the random 10 facts you should know about Lafroy, which includes like the Bessie Williams information, the fact that Prince Charles fucking loves it and a bunch of other shit. Okay, yeah, that's good stuff. We'll put it in show notes. Um, that was lovely. And yeah, next week I'm not drinking something peated. So thank you for taking that bullet for me. I appreciate it. You know what? It's with a little, for me anyway, in my personal taste, with a little soda water, it's delightful. I really like the Oban 14 a lot, actually. I really, really enjoyed finishing this off. Um, I'm not sure how I would feel about something that's that high, but I might I might go buy the bottle just so I can be a land baron too. Sure. I'm going to go get swindled by a bunch of fucking marketing, um, but it is what it is. But I know what I'm drinking. The sad part is I don't know the name of it. I only know because I like the color of the bottle. I- that's all I got for you. You'll have to tell me more, yep. you know, offline, yep. if you will. Yep. Um, man, I was like, maybe I'll buy a bottle because I don't spend enough money on fucking booze. Uh, um, but until next week, because um, I can't think of the name of what I'm drinking, y'all will have to tune in next time to find out. True. Yeah, it's been good. You know what? It's been great. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.